Salofalava, you listen to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Oluingo, Ususana Suisuiki. Coming up. I've seen and responded to several cyclones in my life, and I felt Kevin was as strong as Winston, which wiped out Fiji. Manuatu in ruins after cyclones Judy and Kevin tear through parts of the country. Also, the Pacific is unique in the world in that it's got 12 different species that can transmit dengue. Can the Pacific region ever get rid of an itch in the form of mosquito-borne diseases? And later on... Perhaps one of the biggest things that our old knowledge teaches us is skills like perseverance. After four months of blood, sweat and tears, the Te Mana o Te Waka project on the Cook Islands is finally completed. It's Chiefs Day in Vanuatu, a time where New Vanuatu residents pay respect to their high chiefs. But Vanuatu remains in a state of emergency after Cyclones Judy and Kevin swept the central and southern islands. Vanuatu Broadcasting Corporation reports Aniwa Island population is in desperate need of safe drinking water and food. A primary school teacher and fisherman who made the crossing to Tana from Aniwa this morning said the tiny rocky island has been left in a state of despair, with most of the food reserves in the gardens wiped out. Lydia Lewis has been covering the developments and filed this report. Dealing with Judy was bad enough. To have had to cut four cyclones in less than a week is history in itself and something that even the elders in our families haven't seen before. Member of Parliament Gloria Julia King says just as people started to pick up the pieces, everyone had to rush to evacuation centres again. People trying to carry people with disabilities on their back. This is Shiva Gundan, the Pacific Advisor for Greenpeace Australia Pacific. It was extremely strong. I've seen and responded to several cyclones in my life and I felt Kevin was as strong as Winston, which wiped out Fiji. He was in a village on Efate helping people prepare for Cyclone Kevin when it hit with a force much more violent than anyone was prepared for. I was trying to hold my door from 5pm till about 3am. I was just using all my force with my hands and my backs, back and legs to try and hold the door because if I didn't, it would snap. And the person who was staying next to me, her door snapped. That's 10 hours holding a door shut in Shinhai water. In the aftermath, Vanuatu journalist Dan McGarry visited vulnerable communities. What I found was quite disturbing. There were tarpaulins pulled across roofs, you know, just to provide some sort of temporary shelter. There's one woman, she has no home. Both small buildings that she owns are completely gone. She has no livelihood at the moment because her employer, of course, isn't calling her into work. You know, she's lost everything and she's without the means to return it. It's a tough, tough go for a great many people here in Port Vila. He says climate change is only going to exacerbate the problems. They turn what used to be sort of periodical issues for Pacific Island nations into chronic ones. In this case, we've had two severe cyclones in the course of a week. And as New Zealanders have seen, these weather systems are moving farther south. He says development partners cannot afford to walk away, something echoed by Shiva Gundan. We have the most resilient people, but there is a deep hurt that is within us. The people of the Pacific, we contribute the least to climate change, yet we face the greatest consequences of it all. The biggest thing we can do is pressure our leaders right now to phase out of fossil fuels. Gloria Julia King says Vanuatu has had its fair share of cyclones. The country hadn't fully recovered from Cyclone Pam, a Category 5 storm. That was eight years ago. 
a lot of our schools are still in makeshift classrooms, still sitting on the floor with our desks and chairs. But behind the exhaustion, there's a lot of fight. I've seen Vanuatu come back from Pam. I've seen Vanuatu come back from Harold. I am positive Vanuatu will be able to bounce back from Kevin. She asks the world to remember what has happened. Two cyclones in one week, even when the new cycle moves on. The incidence of vector-borne disease in the Pacific is growing, and people are being encouraged to do more to counter it. Various species of mosquito are responsible for spreading malaria, Zika, dengue, and chikungunya. In the Pacific, according to the Pacific community, over the 10 years to 2021, there are 69 recorded outbreaks of dengue fever, 12 of Zika virus, and 15 of chikungunya, where the World Health Organization points to soaring malaria levels in Solomon Islands. The impacts of the diseases can be deadly, and in PNG, malaria has been one of the biggest killers for many years. Don Wiseman spoke with Tom Burkett, a professor at the Institute of Tropical Health and Medicine at James Cook University in Australia, about the issues, and began by asking why the disease numbers are burgeoning. Well, there's a, there's a number of major issues that are happening in the Pacific. One is movement of mosquitoes. I mean, the mosquitoes have been becoming established in different areas. A really good example of this is the Asian tiger mosquito, which Australia is trying to keep out of uh, mainland Australia. But it was introduced into the Pacific and has spread across the Pacific. So that that's a second dengue vector. And actually, the, the Pacific is unique in the world, and it's got 12 different species that can transmit dengue. And probably they also can transmit Zika and, and chikungunya as well. Uh, so that's that's a major um, a major issue that's going on. And also, urbanization is a major sort of factor. And these mosquitoes, particularly Aedes aegypti, is very much a domesticated mosquito. It lives in close proximity. It lives in our houses. It lays its eggs in buckets of water and, and tires and things like that that are around human households. So we create a very suitable habitat for these dengue vectors. And, and that's why I think one of the reasons that we're seeing uh, uh, more of it, more and more challenges, more and more outbreaks of these diseases. Yes, climate change, of course, is a factor as well, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly can contribute because climate change is really, we always think about the temperature, and the temperature is important in, in regulating the speed at which mosquitoes in, uh, develop, the, the rate of generational change, so building up the population, but it also affects the multiplication rate of the virus inside the mosquito. But one of the big things about climate change is the changing water patterns. So so mosquitoes have an aquatic stage and they're immature stage. And so rainfall is very much going to regulate the availability of, of larval habitats for these mosquitoes. The urbanization argument uh, is interesting, but I was thinking particularly about, I saw a report talking about in Solomon Islands, a 40% increase in malaria between 2015 and 2021. I, I had a conversation just yesterday with someone talking about the increase in malaria in the Solomon Islands. It has gone up, certainly. Solomon's was looking really good to, and was talking about elimination of malaria from selected provinces. And there's a lot of reasons, there's reasons why this is happening. And one of them is, I think, that is uh, logistics 
and availability of the the drugs and the diagnostic tests and the and the anti mosquito measures and their availability and their distribution within the country uh, and the quality of those products is certainly a factor that's uh, playing an effect for. Uh, Malaria in in across the Pacific. Well, at least in, in those countries where malaria is endemic. And so in the Pacific, we're talking about uh, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, and Vanuatu. So a lot of these people in the past, they wouldn't have been diagnosed. That's right. They wouldn't have been diagnosed. So we do have better diagnostic tests. But again, we have to get those tests out to the, the health clinics in all the rural areas. And that can be quite a logistic challenge in, in remote islands, you know, that uh, are dependent on boats and stuff to get materials out to them. So the extent of these vector-borne diseases is increasing. What can be done about it? Well, one of the things that we're involved in, a project that's supported by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade of Australia, together with the uh, support to the Pacific community from uh, the European Union and the government of France, is we're trying to address some of the major challenges that many of the Pacific Island countries are small countries, as you know. And they have limited human resources. They have limited infrastructure. And so what we're trying to do now is we're embarked in a large training program to try to educate the vector-borne disease control programs in these countries to do things for which there's evidence of effectiveness. So it's trying to implement WHO-recommended best practices because there's certain uh, measures which are very popular but aren't necessarily very effective. And other things which we know from uh, many studies that have gone on can be very effective if they're implemented properly. So part of it is educating the vector control staff, educating the people to understand mosquito-borne diseases and, and, and what they can do, trying to engage the communities. To, it's a way of expanding the workforce as it were to fight mosquitoes by engaging the communities to participate in both vector surveillance and control activities. I think across the Pacific, people are aware of what to do at the time of a, a dengue outbreak, for instance. But are we talking about something more elaborate? There are certain interventions which we know are very effective. And, and there's others which are very popular. One of these is outdoor fogging. And that is not effective, but it's very popular. And it's popular globally because, I mean, it's, it's a way of government showing that they care about their people, that they're doing something. It's a very visible activity. But because of the, the behaviors of the mosquitoes, those insecticide droplets don't necessarily impact the mosquitoes. And it's also a very expensive project as well. So you have to understand the mosquito behaviors and their movements and, and able to target behaviors that make them vulnerable to specific interventions. And a really good example of that is is the major dengue vector, which is Aedes aegypti. It likes to rest inside houses. So if you fog outside, if, if your outbreak is being caused by Aedes aegypti and you're fogging outdoors, you're not going to kill any aegypti. They're all inside resting. So you have to bring the intervention into contact with the uh, mosquito. All right. So in terms of temperate places like New Zealand, uh, are they under threat? There's always there's always a, a threat of introduction of new uh, new mosquitoes. I think there's been several introductions into uh, New Zealand recently. I'm obviously more familiar with Australia, and, and a good example of some of the threats that we're seeing here was the outbreak of Japanese encephalitis virus, which was is very widespread. It was discovered in in multiple states in Australia, which hadn't really been seen much previously. And part of that, so it obviously had gotten introduced, it got widespread. And it probably says something about our surveillance systems not really being up to the task of being able to uh, uh, detect 
outbreaks uh, quickly, uh, detect either an invasive new species that's introduced or to pick up the pathogen in, early in the transmission uh, cycle before it gets very widespread. So it's very much a case of everyone being a lot more alert. Yeah, ab- absolutely. In one of Rarotonga's main harbours, Waka made of traditional materials set sail for the first time. The project took four months to complete with over 50 people helping over the course of the build. The leader of the project says nothing ties Cook Islanders more strongly to their culture than the waka. Caleb Fotheringham has the story. After four months hard work, nine canoes from the Tamana Ote Waka project set sail to the sound of traditional drumbeats ringing across Rarotonga's Avaroa Harbour. The project was done in collaboration with Cook Islands Voyaging Society and master carver Taonga Mike Tavioni, who led the build. Taonga says the project was designed to teach as many people as possible the art of making traditional vaka. There's nothing else that ties us more strongly to our culture than the canoe. Without the canoe, we could not discover these islands. Without the canoe, we cannot feed our people. Our people are nourished from the ocean, the lagoon, reef and ocean, not from the land. Novice vaca builder Oliver Alders says using the traditional material was an eye-opening experience. We husked the coconut, bit up the husks and then buried it in the sand on the high tide mark. And then we had to wait three months for that to rot in the sand and then that's when we dug it up and then the ladies all started making the car. And that's what we used to lash all the canoes, all the manus and all the gunnels, all the cattles, yeah, everything. Mr Alders says although modern rope is stronger, the traditional kaha was easily strong enough to build seaworthy canoes. He says it was a special day seeing the vaka work successfully. Because it was the first time that I'd ever um, built any vaka. Sometimes I didn't really understand how it all worked. You know, as you do, you just like put the trust in your teacher and just doing what you're told and as you progress you just see it all coming together. Addressing the crowd at the sailing ceremony, Dr Evangeline Daniela Wong from Cook Islands Voyaging Society says the project was about ensuring the practice continued into the future. Working together and building these types of canoes is about ensuring our traditions, it's about ensuring an art form that actually if we don't preserve it we are going to lose it because there are very few people doing this now and by doing this we ensure that things continue. Mrs Daniela Wong says like any big project, this too had its challenges. Perhaps one of the biggest things that our old knowledge teaches us is skills like perseverance, commitment, grit, working when you've got nothing, working in the hot sun and actually being able to get through many different things. Taonga Tavioni says he now wants to see the vaka get used for fishing. With rising prices in Rarotonga, he sees the canoes as a tool for Cook Islanders to become more self-sufficient. Just teaching the art of making canoes and teaching the kids to sell them, as far as I'm concerned, not the real benefit. The real benefit is to show and demonstrate its ability to get food to sustain family. Next, Taonga says he wants to see the vaka be part of a traditional fishing competition. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Kafitaitele lava, Manuele Vayaso.